you found this podcast probably because you know a little bit about our ministry called Time of Grace and our passion about connecting people to God through all kinds of media. Well, did you know that we do a lot more besides just television and podcasting? If you check out our website, timeofgrace.org, you're going to find tons of ways to learn about the good news of Jesus, from daily written devotions to daily video devotions, tons of podcasts, blogs, our Bible Basic series called Bible Breath, and books and books and resources and more resources to help you in your walk with God. So if you're interested in any of that, just go to timeofgrace.org. What fuels you? Is your focus on trying to get it right? All those do's and don'ts on the religious checklist? If so, you'll fail every time. Because Jesus offered up his life for you on a cross, you can stop thinking in terms of do's and don'ts and start thinking in terms of done. Stay on track by focusing on God's grace with our new 365-day devotion in God's presence every day. Filled with daily devotions from Pastor Mike and the other great writers from Time of Grace, In God's Presence Every Day invites you to take a pause each day, take a breath from the hurry, and let God's Word speak into your life. Find hope in difficulties. Enjoy God's presence. Pray with power. In God's Presence Every Day is our way of thanking you for your financial support. Request yours today by calling 800-661-3311. Visit timeofgrace.org or write us at P.O. Box 301, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, 53201. It's actually logically very difficult to explain, but something happens in your heart where without a a carrot or a stick, you just want to. Some people call this gospel motivation. What, what motivates me is not the law and its demands. It's not the fact that I might end up in hell or train wreck my life. The greatest thing that drives my heart is the love of God that captured my heart. About every month or so, I buzz in at the back door of our local jail. I click that little buzzer, I wait for the intercom, I introduce myself, the door clicks, I walk through the sterile hallway, uh, I fish hook to the left, I wait for the doors to open, no buttons necessary, I look at the cameras that are looking back at me. Uh, I step inside the elevator, it takes me to the proper floor, the doors open into a, a concrete cold room, the officer takes me right or left either to that row of stools in front of the row of glass where I fidget in my uncomfortable seat and wait, or to the two bucket plastic seats with the table in between and the big red button behind my head that I can push if things happen to go south with an inmate. And I sit there with my little blue Bible and I wait for the officer to come, the jangle of the keys, my friend dressed in all orange, slippers on his or her feet, But I already know what we're going to talk about. Uh, I've been a pastor for 14 years. I've sat in situations like that dozens, if not hundreds of times. And I can almost guarantee that the topic of conversation for the day will be self-control. And when you stop and think about it, it's, it's not just a message for our friends who are watching right now from a cell. 
Isn't it true that so much of the quality of your life, your financial life, your physical life, your relational life, even your spiritual life comes down to that thing we call self-control? Not to freak you out in church, but any of you, any of us, could completely train wreck our life in less than an hour. Right? It, It would take one choice that could ruin a family, that could mess up a marriage, that could land us in prison, that could get us addicted. When it comes to living in this world, you don't always get three strikes or or five chances. Sometimes it just takes one decision where everything takes a hard turn and changes. And so the topic I want to talk to you about today, when when you slow down and think about it, is of infinite importance. Do you have, and do I have, Do we have self-control? You know, some of you here today are a lot like my friends who are sitting in a cell. The things that draw your heart are are very, very explosive and dangerous. I'm going to call them bad boy kind of sins. You know, drinking, to be honest, you like it, you've done it, you've done it often, and you're very tempted by it. Using partying, escaping, spending money you don't have, clicking on websites that you shouldn't, flirting with people that you shouldn't. These things are very, very interesting to you. And so the anger, the, the abuse, the, the addiction kind of things, like that's where you need self-control before things blow up really big. And others of you <laughs> have never been tempted by getting high or getting wasted or clicking on inappropriate websites, for for you, the self-control is what what I'll call the the good girl kind of sins. Did you know you can blow up your life with fairly socially acceptable behavior? Like, if you're a Christian, but you're super controlling, like you, you just need to be right in every argument in a relationship, or you need things to go your way at work, or you just melt apart and panic and get all tense, like, that can mess you up. If you're highly organized, but you're highly, like, overwhelmed and overcommitted and exhausting to the people around you, that can mess up your life. (laughs) If the Bible says that we should rejoice, but you ain't got time for that, and we should live at peace because God is the King of kings and Lord of lords, but you're too busy being productive for that. If you would be patient and kind and loving with people, but, but you don't got time to slow down because there's so many things on your to-do list, like if, if you don't control that part of you that needs to be amazing and excellent and exceptional and have control of everything like that, that can mess up a life today too. And so today's an important topic and it's an essentially serious topic that there is something within me and within you that is so temptable and there's something in the world that we are about to walk back into that is so tempting and if you and I allow those two to tango, like, lives quickly implode. But, (laughs) but if with the help of God we can say no to that, Like, yeah, that's interesting, but I'm not interested, not today. If we can resist temptation 
And we can live a self-controlled life. There are so many good things that come out of it. There's this amazing Bible passage in Proverbs 25 uh, where God says this. He says, Like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. So, uh, I'm not sure of your struggle. Uh, I don't know your pet sins or your vices. We all, we all got something. But today, I want to open a Bible and ask, how does God help us control ourselves? Whether it's anger or anxiety, whether it's pornography or impatience, what does God do to slowly and steadily produce in us the fruit of more self-control? Now, uh, to be candid, there's a, a ton of answers to that question. There's rewards that God promises. There's threats that you find in the Bible. There's the blessing of community. But uh, today, I actually want to zero in to the two things that I have seen personally in my life produce the most self-control. So we're going to open our Bibles. We're going to cover two big ideas as we pursue the fruit of self-control together. So grab a pen if you're taking notes. If you're watching at home, do the same. Because here's the, the first and I think one of the best ways to control yourself. It's what I'm going to call guardrails. Guardrails. God produces self-control through guardrails. Now, I'm borrowing that phrase from uh, a pastor who gave a sermon, uh, actually a whole sermon series called Guardrails years ago. And, and here was his point. He said, on the highway, when there's ever like a really dangerous cliff your car could just drive right off of, if driving over that would like kill you, maim you, ruin everything in a minute, what the government often does is not allow you to drive right here, close to the edge. Instead, way over here, they set up a guardrail. It's like this thing that you hit, and it's a little bit painful, but it prevents you from doing something that's much, much more painful. That's a guardrail. Uh, and this pastor had a brilliant analogy. He said, really smart Christians, really wise people, when they know like the thing that will totally ruin their life, they don't try to walk as close to the edge as they can. Instead, what they do is they make a personal rule that keeps them right here. It's like, here wouldn't be sinful, and here wouldn't be technically wrong, and here there, there's no command from God that says, you shall not. But if I know that I'm very tempted and very easily persuaded to do this, then maybe the one, is, one of the smartest things I can do is to do that. I think about the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. It's a city filled with sexual immorality, prostitution, Greek culture. Here's what Paul told the Corinthian Christians. He said in chapter 6, flee from sexual immorality. That's good advice, isn't it? He could have said just resist it. He could have said, hey, you really shouldn't. He said, no, flee. Like, you guys just became Christians. You got a lot of experience walking past the brothel, the temple. You know that once you see her, you know that once she gives you her, her business plan and pitch, you know once she smiles subtly and wink, you're done for. So what should you Corinthians do? Paul said, flee. Run away. Take a step back. Take the long way around town. Whatever you have to do to stay as far away from temptation, Paul said, 
do it. And if you're wise and I'm wise, one of the wisest things we can figure out today is figuring out what's the cliff for us and what would it look like to stand far from it? Let me describe it this way. I have here in front of me um, two little magnets. Let's imagine that this is the sin that could really mess up your life. Like, if you go back to this, you're going to end up an addict. You're going to lose her trust. You're going to lose your job. You're going to disconnect from, from Jesus, from God. And let's imagine that this magnet is you. Now, what would the smart thing be if you knew that these two magnets coming together would really jack up your life? Would it be to say, not technically wrong. Officially, I can do this. There's no Bible passage against it. I'm not touching this. Boom. Right? It's like the, there's something powerful and you say, how, how did that happen? How did I, I didn't plan on doing that. I hate it. I, I prayed last Sunday that I wasn't going to do that. And, and God said, listen, know thyself. Maybe for some people, that's not the temptation. Maybe they can do this. Maybe they can go there. Maybe they can hang out with those people. But if you've seen in your own life that there is a pattern of behavior where wherever you get this close, that happens, then the smart thing you could do today is not get that close. So here's my tough question for you today. What would that look like for you? Like, if you thought really deeply about, like, the sin that just instantly comes to mind when you have that moment in church to, you know, just talk between you and God, if, like, you know what that sin is, what would it look like to make a personal rule to flee from that temptation? Jesus' close friend Peter said this in 2 Peter chapter 1. He wrote, Make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control. Like, God is, is speaking that word of law in great love. He's a father. He doesn't want you, he doesn't want me to live with the consequences. He doesn't want to see another family blown up, another life ruined, another year of freedom lost. And he says, now, before it's too late, before you drive off the cliff, before the sin touches your life, make every effort, you will not regret it. It uh, makes me think of the drug court judge. Uh, about a year ago, I was with a friend who had to go to court. Um, she's battled addiction for a long time. Just messed a lot of things up in life, but here she was. She was begging the judge for another chance. And it turned out that day that the, the judge in the courtroom was actually the head of the county drug court. So this judge had heard, whew, what, dozens, probably hundreds of people who said, I know what I did, I know what I used to do, but I'm making a promise to you today, judge is going to be different, give me a chance, show mercy on me, let me walk away free. And so my friend gave her speech and, and the judge responded and what the judge said was so brilliant as soon as she said it, I, I knew, like, I'm going to steal this. 
The judge listened with empathy and patience and love. And then she looked at my friend and she said, young lady, what you need are new people, new places, and new things. Right? You want a new life? You're making all these promises to me, but I'll tell you what, if you go back to the same old people you used with, the same old places where you used to get high, the same old habits, your life is going to turn out the same. And I thought, judge, that'll preach. Right? New nouns. And I speak to you in love and earnestness. If you want to make a change in your life, if you want to say no to an old habit or sin, what you need are new people, new places, new things. Make every effort to add to your knowledge of yourself self-control. So where does self-control come from? Point number one, guardrails. All right, deep breath. If you're ready for part number two, give me a thumbs up. All right, here's the second key to self-control. First is guardrails. Second thing I want to share with you today is the gospel. The gospel. Now, the gospel, if you're new to Christian lingo, is just the good news of what Jesus has done for us. Right? The law are the, the things you do or don't do, be self-controlled, make every effort. That's the law, what I just shared with you. The gospel isn't something that you do, it's something that Jesus did for you. He lived, he died, he rose on the third day, he forgives you, he cleanses you, he saves you, he gives you a place in heaven, he makes you good enough for God. According to the Bible itself, the second key, maybe the most powerful key to producing self-control is focusing on the gospel. Uh, it's actually what the Apostle Paul said to his friend Titus. I had a chance this past week to read all of the Bible passages in this whole book that talk about control or self-control. There are about 30 or 40 of them. And what I found kind of interesting is that the, the hot spot for self-control in this entire book was this tiny little letter in the New Testament called Titus. Have you read it before? Um, it's pretty interesting. Titus was a pastor on the Greek island of Crete in the Mediterranean Sea. And if you'd read just the first few verses of the book of Titus, you would find out that Cretans, Cretans were not famous for self-control. Right? Crete was like the Vegas of the ancient world. Um, people lied, they swindled, it was Greek culture, so sexual immorality, prostitution, plenty of adultery, drunkenness was a form of worship. Um, there's this one line where they said, uh, Cretans, where is it? Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. This saying is true. <laughs> uh, but then the message of Jesus comes to the island of Crete. The Apostle Paul is leaving his friend, a pastor named Titus there. And what, what is Titus going to do as he runs point and tries to make this very sinful island less sinful? How will they control themselves? You could say, have a guardrail, run. But when you're on an island, <laughs> it's hard to run away. So what would they do? And as you start to read, Paul's answer is, um, you need to preach about self-control. 
Um, he says, Titus, the first thing you need to do is find pastors who are not just biblical and theological, but they're self-controlled. If the pastors and leaders of the church are falling off cliffs, things are going to blow up. And then in chapter 2, he says, you need to make sure you tell all the people in the church the importance of self-control. You can read this for yourself later. But he says, teach the older men to be self-controlled. You ever seen any grouchy older guys before? We're slowing down. We're like Uncle Rico from Napoleon Dynamite. We're, li- you know, living in the past. And like, we're just angry kids these days. And my dad, remember, I walked uphill both ways. Like, no, tell the old guys to take a deep breath, to be self-controlled. And Paul said, tell the women to do the same thing. Uh, women on Crete, much like many women in America today, are a little bit too attracted to wine. And when the bottles start flowing, the words start flowing too and gossip happens and slander happens and being disrespectful of of husbands and fathers happens. So you you need to tell them, Titus, that the women need to be self-controlled with their wine and their words. And then, this is my favorite part, he says in verse 6, similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled, period. Like, that's all you have to tell the young guys. Like, these buck-wild bachelors, tell them, I know you want to, just don't. (laughs) It's like, this is what you need to preach. Self-controlled pastors, self-controlled older men, self-controlled women, self-controlled younger men. And you want to ask the Apostle Paul, well, how? Yeah, everyone, just don't sin, okay? Amen. Paul, how? How? And I got to tell you, what, what Paul says in this chapter is so, it, it is so fundamental for the way that we do church here at the core and what we preach at Time of Grace. Do you know what he says next after all this be self-controlled, be self-controlled, be self-controlled? Let me read you Titus 2 verses 11 and 12. He says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It this is grace, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. What will inspire me to stand back here when all my friends are having fun here, here, and here? How can you face that same old temptation but have a whole new reaction to it? Paul's answer is grace. When you think about the grace that appeared on earth 2,000 years ago, when you slow down and meditate on the crazy undeserved love that Jesus gave when he gave his life for you, when you stop just thinking about do's and don'ts and start meditating on the done that happened at the cross, like, something happens. It's actually logically very difficult to explain, but something happens in your heart where without a a carrot or a stick, you just want to. Some people call this gospel motivation. What what motivates me is not the law and its demands. It's not the fact that I might end up in hell or train wreck my life. The greatest thing that drives my heart is the love of God that captured my heart. 
Other Bible passages say it like this, Christ's love compels us. Or we love because he first loved us. Uh, it's kind of like if you're in an amazing relationship. You know, you're out grabbing a drink with a friend. You've fallen for this guy. You're married to this woman that you love. And someone flirts with you and your friends say, Woo! And you say, I don't want to. <laughs> like, why would I choose the, the lesser of two sources of joy? I found something better. And I have no doubt there would be short-term pleasure if I crossed that line, but I don't want to. It's like love captures your heart. Why do some of you parents sit on an uncomfortable grade school bleacher on your free Saturday to watch, you know, B-team volleyball? The answer is because of love. Because when something stirs your heart so deeply, you you want to and you choose to. And there are other options that might be more fun in the moment, but you choose the thing that grabs your heart. And this is the power of being connected to the gospel. His love for you and for me, for people who struggle insanely with self-control, it was so deep, it was so profound, and it was so perfect. He, he was like a lamb to the slaughter and he didn't even open his mouth. And because he was so self-controlled, you and I today can say that through faith in him, we're saved. We're good. In the middle of our Romans 7 prayers, God, why do I keep doing this stupid stuff that I hate? Like in our next breath, we can say, but thanks be to God. I'm forgiven. I'm cleansed. I'm loved. I'm good. I deserve nothing. He gave me everything. I deserve the back of his hand. Instead, he gave me his shining face. Jesus is so with me and he is so for me. You think about that self-control and, and something happens in here where that sin is tempting, but now there's something else inside of you that just doesn't want to. Brothers and sisters, yes, make every effort. But even more, fix your eyes on the grace of God, the grace that saves us and then teaches us to be self-controlled. Let's pray. Uh, dear God, thank you so much for for working in our hearts today. Um, for all of us, God, life could be a thousand times worse if you hadn't answered that prayer to lead us not into temptation. We thank you, as imperfect as it was, for the self-control of our past. And I pray now, God, for a, a mighty move of your spirit to produce just an abundant harvest of self-control in our hearts. Um, God, you could really change the trajectory of lives of people who are sitting in a cell right now. You've done it before and you can do it again. We, we pray this prayer for them. We pray for all of us who are here today live, God, that you would help our, our families and our faith, our connection to you. The devil is a liar, uh, but unfortunately, he's a good one. So help us to believe that the best blessings don't come from flirting with sin or seeing how close to the line we can get but instead making every effort to honor you with our bodies, our words, our lives, and our everything. God, change our habits today. Give us courage to make bold choices today. But more than anything, God, help us not to just think of ourselves and our steps, 
but to lift up our eyes and think of your son. He is the source of our salvation. He he is the reason that this struggle with self-control is temporary. He's the sole source of all forgiveness and love. So we thank you, God, for the gift of Jesus, for your grace that brings salvation to all people. We pray that you'd bless us today, personally, as a congregation, and as your big Christian family. We ask this all in the holy, sacred, beautiful name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. Do you find Jesus really interesting, but kind of confusing? Maybe today you sense that God is working on your hearts and giving you a new excitement about the things of the Christian faith, but you're not quite sure what to do next. If so, you're exactly the kind of person that I wrote this brand new book for called The Basics. Uh, It's not AP Bible, and it's not going to answer every question you have about Christianity, but it's going to get you back to the basics of why Jesus is worth following today and for the rest of your life. If you're interested, just go to timeofgrace.org to download your free copy. What fuels you? Is your focus on trying to get it right? All those do's and don'ts on the religious checklist? If so, you'll fail every time. Because Jesus offered up his life for you on a cross, you can stop thinking in terms of do's and don'ts and start thinking in terms of done. Stay on track by focusing on God's grace with our new 365-day devotion in God's presence every day. Filled with daily devotions from Pastor Mike and the other great writers from Time of Grace, In God's Presence Every Day invites you to take a pause each day, take a breath from the hurry, and let God's Word speak into your life. Find hope in difficulties. Enjoy God's presence. Pray with power. In God's Presence Every Day is our way of thanking you for your financial support. Request yours today by calling 800-661-3311. Visit timeofgrace.org or write us at P.O. Box 301, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, 53201. Time of Grace doesn't end here. Visit timeofgrace.org and explore encouraging resources or sign up for our daily email and have everything delivered right to your inbox. Like our Grace Moments devotions, Grace Talks devotional videos, blog, and podcasts. Follow us on social media, where you'll find a supportive Christian community. If you need prayer, give us a call and let us know what's on your heart. Thank you so much for your support. See you next week on Time of Grace.